Hey, what's up, crypto family? So today we got Trevor, the CEO of Polymath coming on. We get to hear his awesome story of how he started in hockey and ends up in crypto. It's quite a story. I had a bunch of fun hearing about uh, Polymath, Polymesh, you know, the stuff that they're about to deliver or in the near future will deliver. And full disclosure, Monarch is partnered with Polymath, all right? I don't hold any tokens in Polymath, but again, they're a partner of Monarch. Full disclosure, all that kind of cool stuff. Hey peeps, just a friendly reminder, Crypto Beetle shows are never financial advice, recommendations, or trading strategies. The views expressed here are solely that of Robert Beatles and his guests. Robert Beatles is the co-founder of the Monarch Wallet, host of Trading View Sessions, Crypto Beatles on YouTube, and on several entities. Robert's opinions here do not reflect that of those entities. Some information shared here may not actually be factual. These shows are for information and entertainment purposes only. Never invest a single Satoshi or penny in anything without first seeking the counsel and advice of a professional financial advisor. Robert Beatles is not a financial expert or advisor. Investing in anything is super dangerous. You can lose all of your money, so always trade at your own risk. And one last thing before we get into this, please help us grow the family. Give us a comment and review on the Apple or Google Play Store. It's super quick and easy. Just scroll down, click the little stars, comment, and just help us grow the family. All right, so now that that's out of the way, let's get into this. What is going on, Crypto Family? So today we got Trevor, the CEO of Polymath with us, man. It's great to have you on here. Love the backdrop. Thanks for making time for us. Yeah, thanks, man. Just hanging out here in Toronto and uh, uh, really excited to, to chat and catch up. So maybe for people that don't know you that well yet, I mean, obviously they probably know your name in the space. They probably heard of Polymath, but who is Trevor, man? Tell us, you know, some of your background, man. Tell us a little about yourself. Well, we got the crypto Trevor and the non-crypto Trevor. So uh, <laughs> let's start with the non, man. <laughs> from, yeah. Let's go from diapers up to crypto. To crypto. There we go. <laughs> I was a uh, very ordinary baby. <laughs> um, so my, I guess my kind of first career was athletics. I was a hockey player because if you're from Canada and you don't play hockey, you get deported. <laughs> that's basically, that's basically how it works. Growing up, man, who's your favorite hockey player? Were you a Gretzky? Oh, man, I liked uh, I liked the tough guys a lot. I like like Scott Stevens, like the old school guys who would just demolish people, like the old the old school like kind of guys. Even even in the new game, I like a lot of the high skilled guys, but I still appreciate guys who have like uh, kind of more toughness. What's the name of that movie? I think it's called like The Brawler. Isn't that Sean William Scott or something like that where he plays a hockey dude, player? Dude, dude. <laughs> Classic. I went to the premiere for, for good. Too. And, That's uh, awesome, man. Yeah, if you're wondering why all these teeth are fake from, uh, we call them badges of honor in, in our uh, in our uh, circles, but. <clears throat> not, not, not weathering the uh, 2017 crypto storm, huh? It's, that's from yeah. hockey. Yeah, <laughs> yeah could, could be a few things. But yeah, so I, I kind of, um, you know, had to figure out what I was going to do after, after that. I had some, some injuries and stuff. And I, was, I was with the New York Ranger organization and living the dream. And then suddenly that abruptly stopped and I had to, to reinvent myself. And um, it wasn't easy. You know, I went back to school and kind of, I'm like, man, the real world sucks. <laughs> <laughs> and I had to, you know, learn, you know, basic, uh, you know, skills that I didn't have uh, in the real world yet. But uh, I actually dropped out and I, I moved to China to start my first uh, venture. And it wasn't like I was this natural entrepreneur or anything. I just uh, didn't have a lot of other options. So uh, I kind of cut my teeth in that in that uh, startup world, very kind of Silicon Valley uh, methodology that, that I learned the hard way and raising money and, 
and uh, hiring and all, all, all those skills. And um, <clears throat> so what was it like there in China, man? Everybody, you know, always hears about, you know, the evil red machine over there. But from everybody I've been talking to lately, they go over there and they say it's just incredible, all the tech that they're building. And, you know, what's uh, what's it like? You know, people, people, are, people are always like, when is the, the East going to overtake the West? And I'm like, newsflash. It's over. It is over. Asia, man, it's like a completely different universe. When I go there, I just get so invigorated. People work hard. You know, the the 996 uh, uh, work ethic. There's so much opportunity. You know, there's it's, it's just modern. You know, you get off the plane and you're on a bullet train to your meeting in five minutes. And then you go to Manhattan and you're stuck in traffic for two hours. And uh, it's just uh, we, we've been very fortunate to have a, a big community of, of supporters in Asia, and we, we actually prioritize uh, Asia. No offense to San Francisco, but we joke that it's kind of a, a flyover on the way to Hong Kong. <laughs> <laughs> That's crazy, man. Yeah, I mean, you hear about all the stuff going on right now with uh, you know, the 5G and you hear about uh, Huawei and all that kind of stuff going on over there. And it's like, wow. So ridiculous, man. They were going after these these Asian executives. Like, give me a break. Like, if you, it's like we're scared of competing with Asia. So instead of actually, you know, working harder and building cool products ourselves, we're just like going on this witch hunt. But I digress. No worries. So you went over there and you cut your teeth and uh, you started getting, basically becoming an entrepreneur. And so, um, you know, what was, what was that company what'd you guys do and then how'd you kind of progress into crypto yeah no so that that was uh my first company eprof.com and i had a lot of fun doing that as uh, an accelerator at, at china accelerator and um i was actually not to go on this whole uh, story here but i was in a, a car accident in 2011 that uh kind of shook things up it was a pretty serious uh injury i suffered and that kind of ended the hockey career at the same time. And um, and then and then around the same time, you know, it was 2008 and then 2009, 10, uh, Bitcoin emerged. And I was very fortunate to be uh, super early in those circles. And I have a lot of people to thank for that. This is back in the days we, we were all living in our parents' basement. <laughs> the good old days. And, um, um, you know, th- that was my gateway drug was like learning about Bitcoin. I was tumbling down the rabbit hole. I finally got around to buying my first Bitcoin uh, for 20 bucks on eBay in 2012. So that was my, uh, my point of no return. Once, like, once you get one, you, you can't go back. So I'm really, yeah, no, no, really. no buying on Craigslist, meeting people, you know, shady people in parking lots, or if you're lucky to Mickey D's or Starbucks. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's the only way or are some sketchy, like on, on eBay, like you give him the money and he has the private key. So you just hope, cross your fingers, hope his reputation, uh, star system works. <laughs> um, so then, then I was really kind of getting deep into the space. And I remember I was hanging out with uh, the MasterCoin guys. That was actual, the world's first ICO was called MasterCoin. And then other projects like ColoredCoin and, and uh, others on the, the Factum and Made Safe. These were all on the Bitcoin blockchain. And then, uh, in 2015-ish, uh, Ethereum started to emerge. I was very lucky. Ethereum was founded just in, in my backyard here in Toronto with Vitalik and Charles Hoskinson and Joe Lubin and Anthony Diorio and all these guys. So I was very fortunate to be hanging out with those guys, the, the Ethereum mafia, who I, I still stay in touch with pretty much all the seven or eight co-founders. And Ethereum was this crazy concept of having uh, this Turing complete scripting language equipped virtual machine. Um, that you could do a general purpose computing with. And that, that uh, pitch really resonated with me. And I was very early in um, 
I took my one Bitcoin and, and bought ETH in the ETH crowd sale. That's and, a believer. Uh, yeah, I know, that was my big $20 uh, conviction. It was like, hey, I'll put 20 bucks into this. And then at that point, it was just, it was just too much fun because uh, we started seeing all these other projects emerge. And I was very active kind of advising and angel investing in projects like Shapeshift and Block One and, and, and probably a dozen others. So you, you invested on these companies too with your $20 of Bitcoin or was that from your venture in China? Uh, a little bit of both. I, I will say though, the $20 of Bitcoin turned into, believe it or not, at 1.2 million bucks of ETH because uh, you got 2,000 ETH per uh, Bitcoin and, and ETH was 1,000 bucks. So uh, it's nice pretty ridiculous. Yeah, pretty ridiculous. That's, you know, assuming you, you sold at the top, which I definitely didn't. But uh, so that was, that was my thing. And I was like helping people as much as I can and, and supporting and investing. But I was, I'm always an, op- an operator. I'm like, uh, at this point, I kind of knew, knew what I was doing in, in uh, entrepreneurship a bit. And uh, it was time for me to kind of do my own thing. I was actually running a private equity fund at the time um, from some of my previous venture windfall I, I invested in uh in other tech companies and uh, i woke up one morning and i said you know what and crypto was in this like nuclear winter at that point people forget but there's been some, like four or five uh, bear markets and uh i said you know what it's time to get back on the horse i'm gonna uh, tokenize my fund that's gonna be my big idea so my lp shares are gonna be tokens and they're gonna pay distributions or dividends and we're gonna be the world's first yielding token and this is like 2016 and uh, this is the right when blockchain capital was coming out as the first security token and um everyone was excited because I, I was like trevor's doing something in the space and and we got a little bit of hype and and uh, commitments and then like a few weeks later we just kind of ran into a wall called the sec it turns out what we were doing was uh, a security it was clearly a uh, uh, financial security, what we were doing, and and we had to like invent this whole concept of a security token. And back then, we called it securities token because we wanted to distinguish between like software security and financial security. Uh, it was just really hard. It was hard to technically to figure out how to like enforce regulations and legally, like how do you like do cross jurisdictional trading? Uh, crypto and blockchain is is immutable and it's global and it's anonymous. And that is hard to reconcile with securities regulations, which are like rigid and siloed off. That is exactly the time when polymath was born because we said, Hey, instead of solving this little micro problem called a a small hedge fund slash venture fund, what if we, uh, we could make a platform that made it easy for anybody to launch uh, an asset backed coin, whether that's like real estate stocks, debt, we had, I, I had so many people coming to me because I was kind of the accidental security token guru back then. And they're like, hey, can, can you give me advice on how to tokenize my duplex or how to tokenize my uh, fund? And um, we're like, you know what? There's a lot of demand for this. There's no product. Why don't we eat our own dog food? And, and that's how Polymath was born. That's awesome, man. Because I think we both agree that security tokens are kind of the future, right? I mean, taking digital assets, well, I guess physical assets and making them digital assets and making them, you know, available to pretty much anywhere in the world, you know, except the US where it has to be for, you know, accredited and qualified investors and things like that. So that's, that's pretty awesome that you had that foresight and knowledge. So how's it, uh, how's it been for you to go from investing in companies to actually creating one of your own that's in the space? You know, I mean, it's, it's very different, right? Yeah. And and not only that, the difference between a normal, like kind of venture back company versus a open source distributed crypto company 
is uh, is like night and day. And there's a lot of similarities, but also a lot of uh, unique characteristics of running a distributed open source project. And uh, that's been a lot of fun for me to kind of uh, evolve my skills around um, hiring and managing people that are, are good at that. But yeah, you're exactly right. So we, we created what at the time was kind of the world's first uh, major platform for security tokens. We decided strategically at the time to launch our platform on top of Ethereum. And that was a big inflection point we had where we're like, hey, should we build our own blockchain or should we launch a layer two on top of Ethereum? And we decided the former. We're going to launch on Ethereum. It's deployed. It works. It's stable. It's going to help us get to market faster. My strategy was always, let's just learn. Let's get in front of users. Let's get something out the door instead of building something in a cave for two years and then coming out and it's already outdated by the time it's ready. And I don't regret a thing. What we, what we learned throughout this process, because we actually launched our Ethereum dApp uh, just over a year ago at Consensus. Um, and in that time, we learned that um, some issuers have problems that are irreconcilable with the layer one we call Ethereum because Ethereum uh, wasn't designed for securities. It, it was, it's kind of the antithesis of securities in a lot of ways. And you can't even practical problems like if you lose a pension fund loses a private, their private keys and grandma can't retire or uh, a bad actor gets a hold of a LP token in a fund and how do you unwind that transaction? And even, even more broader challenges around like KYC and anonymity and pseudonymity with kind of the public addresses versus real, real humans is a challenge. So uh, a lot of big name issuers, like the biggest of the biggest that we've spoken to that are really excited and bullish on security tokens say, we're not comfortable to, to dive into this space until it's built on a more solid foundation. So this is a very organic learning that we, we discovered that they want something purpose-built. They want something done from the ground up for security tokens. If security tokens are going to be as big as we think they're going to be, then we have no choice but to really think hard about what the backbone of, of this tech stack is going to look like. And, and that's been our big thesis that, that we've been releasing uh, over the last few months now is that uh, security tokens, the, the, the new version of security tokens are not going to be living on old blockchains. Right. And future of security tokens are going to demand the best of, of both kind of older school permission blockchains that, that have experimentation embedded and granular permissions you can, you can adjust and also have this uh, dual benefit of being open and public and, and permissionless and tamper proof and having that ledger that's, that's universal. So um, that, that's what we've been really excited uh, about. We've been working on the last six months or so, and we just announced that our consensus is uh, the new polymath blockchain layer one blockchain built specifically for security tokens. Uh, it's called Polymesh. And, and we think it's going to be one of the fastest adopted blockchains ever. Sounds incredible, man, because you're definitely hitting a lot of the pain points with Ethereum. I mean, it's obviously, you know, it's, it's got a great development community behind it. It's, it's kind of tried and tested. People have been trying to hack it since 15. So you know that it's, it's stable, but obviously, you know, for what you guys are trying to do with security tokens, it may not be the best, you know, maybe the best solution. So with what you guys are building, are you guys still keeping it with Solidity? Are you guys moving to Stellar? Are you guys creating, you know, something? He's, I saw that you had Charles Hoskinson, you know, as an advisor. Are you guys doing stuff in Haskell? You know, what's, what's going on? Yeah. What kind of yeah, that was our big uh, exciting announcement is that we've been quietly uh, working 
extremely cl uh, close with uh, Mr. Charles Hoskinson, and I mentioned his name earlier because we were uh, close contacts back in the early days of, of Ethereum, and we continued to kind of uh, collaborate since those days. And wow, what a perfect guy for this. We, we spent a lot of time talking to him and, and, and learning about what his vision for security tokens is, and we were just blown away by how excited and prepared he is for this stampede of security tokens. And he's like put a lot of incredibly deep thought into this, uh, into this space. And like I said, who better to help us build this blockchain than Charles? We looked up everywhere for, for the right architect. We looked for, for people, but no one has that resume of building, of co-founding Ethereum, which is a top 10 coin, co-founding Cardano, uh, which is a top 10 coin. I think uh, the only other person who's done two of the top 10 coins is uh, Dan Larimer. Dan Larimer, Jed McCaleb, I got to give a yeah. shout out to. Of course. Well, Stellar, but, Ripple, uh, Mount Gox, yeah. And it's not, it's not about being a top this coin or the top that coin. To me, it's more about the skills needed to actually build a blockchain. And I think there's to, to do a, to, to build like a production institutional grade permissionless blockchain. I still think there's only a handful of people on the face of the planet who can credibly do that. And Charles was absolutely one. He's, I've been blown away by his, not just his technical knowledge. Everybody knows he's, he's a technical genius that's old news. But to me, what's been most impressive now that, that I get to work with him as a colleague now is seeing his PMing skills and seeing, you know, the way that he executes actually not just the designing the architecture, but actually building uh, the, the frameworks has been amazing because uh, he just says like, this is the white paper you need to look at. This is the team that you're going to want to engage with. You're going to need 12 people to do this, not 13, not 11, but 12 people. Here's who to talk to. And it, it just makes me think like how much longer and more painful it would be if we didn't have the guidance of someone like Charles um, helping lead this for us. Yeah, no, that's awesome. And he's definitely, you know, a pioneer in the space. He's, you know, got a great track record and having a guy like that, that's already gone through, you know, all the, the mistakes, right. You know, building stuff as you go, you, you make mistakes, you learn, and then you try to not do that moving you know, forward. So that's awesome. Having somebody like that on the team for sure. And then are you guys still going to be using solidity like Ethereum or are you guys going to be using Haskell, you know, or, um, something else, maybe Stellar? I mean, what, uh, what we did, yeah, well, we're at this point, what we, we have um, cleared to kind of share, which is still limited. And, and um, just to be straight up, we, we don't have the ability right now to do a full uh, uh, explanation of the tech stack here. But the concept of public versus private, like that's kind of the, the binary thing that a lot of projects have to decide on. Like, are you going to be a fabric slash hyperledger kind of private permission chain? Or are you going to be something like Ethereum that's more global and distributed and immutable? And our insight, and this was invented by Charles himself, was, you know, it doesn't have to be one or the other. It's, this is a false dichotomy. And there's actually a, another option which hasn't been invented yet, but it's, it's something that we're um, describing as a public-private hybrid architecture. And we're not married to any of these architectures at this point. I don't want to announce, uh, make it seem like we're announcing this tech specifics, but that was our big insight is that the reason there's not more security tokens, um, there's, there's a few reasons, but one of them is um, the space layer isn't deployed yet that, that is actually usable for real world issuers. And I think no one, um, because we've been doing this for the longest, has been 
thinking about this problem and talking, and more importantly, talking to real world issuers and real world partners. It's not just the issuers in our community, it's, it's the exchanges, it's the regulators, it's the investors, it's the broker dealers, it's all of these, these stakeholders that all need to be aligned. And that's how we're, we're thinking of this blockchain is like designing a system, designing token economics, designing um, and aligning people's needs and incentives to make sure everybody's working together towards a common goal. And that's, again, that's one of the reasons bringing Charles in was such a, a huge home run for us because um, he, he's, he's the master of all that stuff. No, that's great. You definitely have to put a lot of, you know, forethought into this and make sure you guys are kind of addressing all the needs before you start building. Because as you know, just like with Ethereum, it's really hard to change something after you build it, right? So it's great to have somebody like this at the helm in the beginning to kind of make sure you guys are building it out the, the right way to meet all the needs. So very, very cool. And so for people that don't understand like what the benefits of a security token are, so say you're a business on the street and you want to, you know, raise capital or you want to sell equity in your company, you know, how do they, you know, become part of the polymath, you know, family? What, what exactly do you guys offer to them? You know, I, I identified, there's a few others, but three major reasons someone would want to launch a security token. And, and we've, in our current layer two on Ethereum, which is live today, and it's, it's picking up um, momentum every day, it seems like, we have the cap table people who want to tokenize their cap table, see that these are startups or existing businesses in some cases who, uh, who don't like the old school way of share certificates and pieces of paper that are static, that live in filing cabinets, that collect dust. And, and that's one, maybe they're not trying to raise money, maybe they're not trying to get liquidity. All they're trying to do is like have a more efficient way to manage their cap table. So that, that's one use case we've, we've identified. And we're coming out with an exciting new release on, on uh, that product um, in, in the coming weeks. And the second reason is actually money. So people don't care about the cap table, they don't need liquidity, they just want capital. And this is a great new way uh, that you can go and raise capital. You can issue your token just like you would share in exchange for capital, whether that's cash or crypto. Now, I will say a lot of people in the early days of security tokens thought, hey, just because I'm a security token, I'm going to get raise all this money, even though my real estate project's not that great because it's I'm in blockchain. It doesn't really work like that. You still need to raise from people that know your industry, that are domain experts, and you still need to have a really kick-ass asset that underlies the token. But that's number two. And number three is liquidity. And this is like the, the really exciting thing that everyone is excited about is can we unlock liquidity of private assets with tokens? And can we make them more granular? You know, can we, you know, an example I like to use, can we make new products that don't exist today rather than just linear, linearly making our existing capital market infrastructure more efficient? Um, and I think the way we do that is by being creative and saying, hey, maybe a token could represent a product within Apple. So if you want to get exposure to Apple, but you don't like most of its products, you just like one particular, uh, you know, the, the watch or something, uh, there's ways you can use tokens as derivatives and proxies to actually bet on a product line within Apple. Whereas today, you've got to get exposure to the whole company. There's other examples like real estate. You know, do you want to go long real estate and, uh, in New York, well, you can buy like a, a REIT that, that focuses in New York. But what if you want to go more specific and you want to go long Brooklyn and short 
the East Village or you want to you want to go along Soho and sure whatever. So so there's a lot of interesting things that tokens do that unlock you know granularity and unlock uh, ultimately liquidity because we think as these exchanges and ATS licenses continue to get shared um, and more investors come in to actually you know prove that this is a viable investment uh, tool for your portfolio, um, I expect to see. Um, this become a lot more mainstream. No, it's huge. I mean, just, you know, security tokens, like you mentioned, some of the various use cases. I mean, look at the stock exchange, right? I mean, imagine the portability that you would have, you know, being able to just trade, you know, stocks via coins, you know, on the New York Stock Exchange or unleashing, you know, private equity and companies that haven't gone public yet, being able to buy shares directly from, you know, the employees and being able to start, you know, swapping tokens instead of shares and all the, all the cool things that it's going to do. And then, like you said, taking it a step further and actually, uh, like an, being able to tokenize like the Apple Watch or, you know, that just one product within the company. That's, that's pretty incredible as well. Yeah, and even one other thing that we really are excited about is cross-jurisdictional trading. Like right now, if you're American, it's actually kind of hard to buy directly by a, a Chinese stock or a, a stock on a Hang Seng. With the blockchain, the whole reason that people are excited about it is it's this global settlement layer. And today if two exchanges want to be interoperable, you have to like coordinate their tech stack and then their legal stack of like what's allowed because every jurisdiction has their own rules and exemptions. So a lot of people, including us, because we're working on it, think this can be streamlined and smart contracts can kind of help adjudicate who's allowed to trade with who, who's authorized, who's not authorized. And we, we create this concept of this global stock market with global settlement. You don't have to wait two or three days uh, to sell a stock trade like you do now. That's the concept of, of T0, which is a, a project that we've uh, supported uh, in a really excited way since day one. Uh, so all kinds of uh, a great opportunity. Now the question today is, you know, how do we how do we get from A to B? And we still have a long way to go. I don't want to just make it seem like we're just talking about, you know, super distant in the future things. We think a lot of this stuff's going to come a lot faster than people think. Yeah, you brought up a lot of great points there, man, especially the, you know, basically being global, just blow through the barriers, blow through the boundaries, all the, all the different, um, you know, all the different walls that we have, so to speak. So it allows people to trade anywhere in the world. That's pretty awesome. And then to take it a step further, you guys are actually building security into the tokens too, to make sure you guys are compliant within, within these different regions and countries as well, right? So you guys have like KYC, you know, built into these uh, tokens. So you actually know who's holding them, who's qualified to hold them. And it doesn't uh, allow for, I guess, the sending or receiving of tokens unless they're actually, you know, accredited or, or actually able to, I guess, custody the tokens. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and that's what we focused on initially is how can we use smart contracts, use Solidity, which we'll, we'll be upgrading pretty soon. How can we work within that framework to make um, the open nature of Ethereum more compliant and make it easier for the issuer to dictate uh, who's, who's allowed to hold their shares, is there lockups, is there investor limits, all these, all these factors. But, but here's the problem is, a lot, a lot of it is, is our own doing because we launched on Ethereum, but most, I'd say over 90% of security tokens today live on Ethereum. And that's, that's where they go. And then they go there for the same reason that we went there because it's, it's live, it works, it's, it's got a good uh, ecosystem. But we, we become more and more convinced that security tokens need something new, they need something fresh and they need something purpose-built. And, and that's you know, the beauty of our strategy is that we've also got this layer two, 
with traction, with over 100 tokens that have launched in a decentralized way on top of our DAP. And once we're ready to deploy the chain and launch our test net and then our main net, um, we expect a pretty seamless transition from um, Ethereum, which is where our current security tokens live, over to our, our native blockchain. Awesome, man. So a lot of exciting stuff in the future for sure. And for people that want to, you know, start using your services now, what do you guys currently offer today that, uh, you know, people could use or, and what kind of partners are you looking for, you know, in the future? Polymath.network and that's our homepage where it's going through a, a revamp, but you can still go there today and start the process of launching your security token. But the vision with Polymath was always to make it easy for anyone, not just technical developers, but you know, regular folks, business folks, non-technical folks to launch a security token. That's the whole point, to bring it to the masses. In the same way, Ethereum made it easy for developers to launch a utility token. Polymath makes it easy for anyone uh, to launch a security token. And we have a very um, elegant DAP that you can go to, it's self-serve, and it walks you through the step-by-step process of how you can tokenize an asset that, that you have, whether that's your own startup, whether you're launching a new fund, whether you want to tokenize your um, real estate project for the three reasons I mentioned earlier, um, that's where you can go. And, and we're always looking for new partners in our ecosystem, new broker dealers, new exchanges, uh, new investors. We've got a new investor portal coming out that we're really excited about. Uh, but the big date uh, to circle on your calendar, even though uh, there's nothing to circle yet, is um, the Polymesh blockchain. And, and I encourage everyone to stay yeah, in, in touch with us on social and see the progress. We're going to do this in a very transparent way. And like I said earlier, my my plan is to make this the fastest adopted blockchain um, ever because A, we have our own traction already that we're going to port over. B, we're going to make a really compelling case to other security tokens that aren't on Polymath to upgrade over to Polymesh when it's ready. And three, and most importantly, we have this huge universe of future security tokens. This is the real prize. The thousands and ten, tens of thousands of future security tokens that, that we expect to come online. We're going to hope that they see uh, Polymath, Polymesh as the natural first place for them to start. Awesome, man. We'll make sure to definitely get the links out there for people so they can go to keep up to date. And then uh, more back on you, man. So uh, it's always great to, you know, find out more about the, you know, the founders and the CEOs and stuff like that. And so, you know, growing up or even in your adulthood, what's been like a book that's kind of maybe, you know, been really super you know impactful and important to you that you think other people should read as well? Yeah, I like, you know, everyone's got the, the classic books that always get recommended. I have a few more tactical ones that are a little more like uh, work manuals uh, type books rather than just like a story and a narrative. So uh, the first one that comes to mind is Dot Com Secrets by Russell Brunson. And it's, it's a more of a marketing focused book, but it's really, it's really important in today's day and age because a lot of the tech is getting commoditized and, and the way you stand out is getting distribution. And I encourage entrepreneurs to always focus on distribution first and then work your way backwards to the tech. And this, this book's uh, a lot about like really tactical roll up the sleeves ways to get users to upsell them to get um you know fans and followers and champions of of your brand Uh, the second one is a book on negotiation i read recently that i really liked it's called the the power of negotiation um and it's really good (laughs) and it talks about a lot of uh day not just like negotiating a big deal but like normal day-to-day stuff in your life um let me just double check the author here 
It probably works w- well with kids. You know what I mean? If you uh, do your homework. They're good negotiators. I, they, they, uh, <laughs> I think they mentioned that in the book just as uh, I'm pulling up the name here. What about you? What's your favorite book? Uh, probably the Bible. And then uh, from there, probably the Art of War. So those would probably be my two. <laughs> yeah, that's how a lot of people's top two, I bet. That's cool because they're, they're just uh, so classic and pervasive. Uh, yeah, so the, the book's called The Secrets of Power Negotiating by Roger Dawson, in case anyone wants to check that out. Nice, man. Very cool. And then, uh, you know, we touched on movies a little bit, but what's your favorite movie? Favorite movie? I, I will say this. I watched The Revenant the other night. Yeah, dude. That boy uh, can act. <laughs> that, that was a good flick. And uh, Yeah, DiCaprio, man. That guy can act, man. Incredible. Yeah, he, uh, yeah, he brought his A game for that one. I like, I like uh, westerns too, like old westerns, old country for uh, no country for old men, and those kinds of movies too. Tombstone. Tombstone. Yeah, that is like absolute classic as well. It's my top three. There you go. I can see you like playing a cameo in the next one, maybe if it comes up. <laughs> Who <are> you? <laughs> there's, a, there's also one called. Uh, Buster Scrubs or something, a new, new show on Netflix that the Coen brothers did. And it's just a series of, sh- of Western uh, shorts that that's pretty good too. So I'll have to check it out, man. And then if you could change anything in the world, man, it could be, it could be anything. You could, you could change the way people dress for a day, what they say for a day, change laws, regulations, whatever. What would you do? Yeah, I would. I was thinking about this the other day. I would, um, the, the education system is a complete dumpster fire in my opinion and i don't think people are thinking about the solutions in the right way i think you really need new private alternatives to the current system and you need people to buy into that and, and I'm, I'm seeing schools like lambda school coming out of silicon valley and i would i would really hope that you know our next generation uh, has has something that's completely reimagined from the current education system that we have today very cool. And here's a fun one. So I've asked, you know, these questions for years. It's always fun to get uh, people's different. Uh, oh, I need one more on the change. There's <laughs> a little more on the change. I'm sorry, people. You need to have tolls on highways. Traffic is insane. You, you can't, if, if it costs zero dollars extra at rush hour, you're going to have shortages of roads because it's static. Like you need to have surge pricing for driving and you use that money from the surge pricing to go build new highways. Like that's the most obvious thing. I can't think of any like major cities who do that in a big way. Like you have to charge people for driving during busy times. It's just like when you buy an Uber on New Year's Eve, like it's not, it's not the same price or you'd never get one. Like there'd be so much demand. So you got to have that like equilibrium. And I, I just can't believe people aren't, doing that in cities because traffic is like the most demoralizing thing I can think of. Yeah. Traffic does suck for sure. It's, it's crazy when you go to some of these other countries, how well they have traffic down, you know, just with their public transportation. And it's, it's actually incredible. You know, when you, in the U S our public transportation kind of sucks, but when you go to places like Germany and Europe, it's pretty incredible. So you don't see quite as much traffic in some of those spots, but, um, and then um, if you could see any two people fight, it could be, you know, cartoons, it could be people living or dead, just in like a UFC cage match. They don't have to kill each other. It could just be for fun. It could be, you know, the Pope against Hitler. It could be Donald Duck against, you know, Mickey Mouse, whatever you want. No, I'm a, I'm a UFC fan, so we're going to have to go with the real thing here. There you go. All right. I would like to see... Probably going to drop Connor. <laughs> 
I would like to see, there's this guy, uh, I was literally watching this on YouTube the other day, Dan Severn. He was like, yeah. I would love to see one of those old school guys fight like a smaller new guy who's like, I'd want to see like kind of the old school brute force versus like someone who's really technical in, in today's day and age go at it. So that's my answer. Dan the man. Yeah, Dan's awesome, man. So yeah, maybe him against somebody like a like a Bruce Lee or somebody like a uh, you know Conor McGregor, I guess something like that. Huh? <laughs> yeah, I, lo- I always like the style matchups, and and uh, uh, I'd, have, I'd have so many uh, on my dream roster. Today, I want to see Brock Lesnar fight again. <laughs> that guy is just the best, and I would love to see him fight again. <laughs> he definitely brings a show, man. It's awesome. Maybe, you know what? Actually. I'd get Kawhi Leonard to fight Steph Curry because Raptors are about the smoke, uh, the favorites. That's going to happen, and I'd, I'd like to see a little fist fight break out. Maybe, uh, maybe game one or game two. Do you would see? Yeah, you'd have no problem selling tickets to that. You would fill up arenas everywhere. <laughs> awesome, man. cool. You have anything else you want to share with the audience before I let you go, or anything you want to ask me? And if not, I'll just. No, that, that's it. I just. I will say the last thing is, you know, I want to get this message of protocol for security tokens and people just thinking about that because as soon as people like I say everyone's on Ethereum but that's kind of silly Vitalik never designed Ethereum for securities I just want people thinking about that and then we love Ethereum we'll always have um, a very inroads in that ecosystem and we owe Ethereum a lot but um, we think it's important to reimagine it I want people thinking about that I want people thinking of you know this fat protocol idea where a lot of the value in crypto network accrues down to the base layer. And and that's exactly um, why we're putting our money where our mouth is here. Awesome, man. We'll make sure to get the links posted for you. Make sure to get this out you know, as quick as possible. Really appreciate you coming on and telling us about yourself and all the cool stuff that you've done and you're doing. So God bless you, man. We'll catch you on the next one. Hey, Ditto. I'll let you know next time I'm, I'm out uh, in SF and Ditto when you're in uh, on the East Coast. Huge thanks to Trevor, man. I appreciate you coming on and telling us your story about all the stuff that you're trying to do with Polymath and Polymesh. It was awesome to hear it straight from you, man. Hey, peeps, just a friendly reminder, Crypto Beetle shows are never financial advice, recommendations, or trading strategies. The views expressed here are solely that of Robert Beatles and his guests. Robert Beatles is the co-founder of the Monarch Wallet host of Trading View Sessions, Crypto Beatles on YouTube, and on several entities. Robert's opinions here do not reflect that of those entities. Some information shared here may not actually be factual. These shows are for information and entertainment purposes only. Never invest a single Satoshi or penny in anything without first seeking the counsel and advice of a professional financial advisor. Robert Beatles is not a financial expert or advisor. Investing in anything is super dangerous. You can lose all of your money, so always trade at your own risk. Please help us grow the family. Give us a comment and review on the Apple or Google Play Store. It's super quick and easy. Just scroll down, click the little stars, comment, and just help us grow the family. God bless. Catch you on the next one.